Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Zach Pograb, also known as Behavior Hack on Instagram, is an entrepreneur, writer, and owner of Peak Photo Booths. As a former D1 college player, he had multiple injuries that forced him to take a brutally honest look at himself and his life. He put in the work in the gym to rebuild his body while simultaneously programming and rebuilding his mind from personal development podcasts and audiobooks. This was how Behavior Hack came to existence. His use of social media is unique and real, articulating undeniable truths and creating content in a way that makes the most impact on his audience. So what's his content like? Think part Naval Ravikant, part Tim Ferriss, part Andy Frizzella. In addition to being a powerful content creator, he has multiple businesses, including his highly visible peakphotoboost.com. Follow him at Behavior Hack on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to his Substack, behaviorhack.substack.com. Zach, it's been a long time coming. Thank you for being on, my friend. I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate you. Oh, absolutely. Happy to be here, man. This is a great conversation I've been looking forward to. A lot of people ask a lot of questions, but I'm going to keep it selfish for a little bit so that we can actually get to some of this stuff that we were talking about before. When you're creating content, is there a process that you have? Is there a music that you listen to? Is there a routine that you try to follow to create the best content that you can? It's changed over time. I think when I was starting out, I was putting out a lot more than I am now. And at that time, I would kind of sit down and just focus and try to pump stuff out. But recently, it's changed. and There's not really much of a process other than creating the right state to make content and then capturing those ideas when I have them. And like, this isn't necessarily an original thing. And I've heard more and more creators talk about this method where it's not necessarily about how you're creating content. It's about how you're creating this mindset and this energy state and so that could be meditating, that could be working out, that could be a long walk, and then just paying attention when that comes. Because most of the stuff I put out is just in the moment, I write it, and it's up within like 10 minutes. I think that is sometimes the best content, because it's the most pure type of energy you're putting out there. Absolutely. You're in that place where you're, Stephen Presto talks about, it. you're in the place where you're beyond resistance, you're beyond adversity, and now you're actually receptive to all these things that are out there that we may not have access to any other way. And to give you more specifics, because I think it's interesting, sometimes I'll share like me writing them on my stories. I've done it once in a while. It's really just like something will come. You capture the smallest piece of it because it, it's hard sometimes when you have like a big idea. And sometimes I'll be working it out and I, I try to work out on my phone. And I'll like, record a voice note on my Apple Watch, get like a word down. And then it's like, all right, if there's no workout, I'm going to go. Usually I go on Twitter and I'll like write out the draft before it goes on Instagram or anywhere else. And then it's about like, how can I take this little nugget of an idea that was given to me from something and put it in a way that's interesting and shareable. I'll rewrite posts sometimes five, 10 minutes, like, which is crazy sometimes, but, and it's just a few lines. But to me, like, I really do love like playing with the words and the rhythm of the words. I'll read it aloud more that goes into it. I think than some people see, 
but I, I enjoy that process. Yeah, you're condensing it down to something that's powerful. Like you said, if it's this long thing, people aren't going to read it today. A lot of people, they want that kind of soundbite. They want that tweet worthy kind of character amount. And that gives them a chance to really see what you're saying. And then, like you said, that gives you a chance to really polish and wordsmith that. So it says it exactly how you want. It has the cadence, the diction, the intonation that you want. And that's what makes the most impact, I believe. You have the idea, but then the key is getting the idea. But the real way it works is by condensing it and making it a nice package, like packaging the idea in a nice way. All the time. You've got, I think, over a quarter million followers on Instagram alone right now. So Almost, almost. Not, almost. Not <laughs> <laughs> well, you're influencing some of the most influential people out there because you have a lot of people that are following you. So that is an indication that you're on the right track. That's the best compliment you can get. Yeah. And you were talking about, is there a specific meditation practice that you enjoy the most that is the most useful for you, the most pragmatic? Yeah. When I said meditation before, I actually was just using it as an example. I don't meditate too much. I haven't at times in the past, like every day for a month or two months. But I would say the closest thing to me now is just working out without music, especially. That to me is like a meditative type of thing. I think a lot of people will resonate with that. You probably resonate with that. That's where I get a lot of ideas, truthfully. It's interesting too. People say, I don't meditate, but in my opinion, like you're saying, if you're present when you work out, that's moving meditation. Like you're in this flow state, so to speak. You got all this release, all these endorphins. You may have some caffeine in your body before you start to. <laughs> Definitely guilty of that. <laughs> yeah. And you're finding on all these cylinders. Even Stephen Pressfield says that he'll ride for four hours, but then he'll go for a hike afterwards. And sometimes that after effect is when all this stuff comes to you and you get these additional insights or you make it more condensed or make it more succinct. And that's what people need. They want that like really powerful condensed version of what you've got. Yeah. You hear the, the walking thing. A lot of people say they get their best ideas on walks. And I definitely relate to that. Something interesting though that I'll say that I haven't really heard many other people mention is sometimes if I'm just doing a bunch of work, let's say I have like all these like quicker tasks, like emails, just things I need to edit and I'm like banging them out. Sometimes I'll get good ideas then too, I think, because my brain is like firing so quickly. And so that's like another, like it's almost contrast the original way, but uh, yeah, I get ideas then too. Yeah. And what happens is now you're just in that place where you're batching those ideas and you don't have time to think about it. It just comes out. And that's when something interesting can sometimes appear on the paper. You're like, huh, where'd that come from? hundred percent. Yeah. As I said before, there are a lot of people that were asking questions that want to ask questions that are listeners, but we'll get to some of those later on. There was another part that I wanted to talk about. So many people talk about how do I find my passion? What is this idea of passion? You talk about passion. You talk about obsession, actually, and how that there's a similarity. There's a difference as well. Why should we not follow our passions per se? Why is it so tricky to do that? Yeah, I, I just posted out this yesterday. And like a lot of this is semantics. A lot of this is just like passion, obsession. You can use them like interchangeably almost. I've kind of tried to like lately, like look at all my content. The last like, I'll say like 50, 30 to 50% of my posts are all about obsession because I, I like the idea of at least for like, a long period of time focusing yourself around one core thing, one mission, one thing that you get known for. Cause I'll get DM now, like, dude, I, I saw this about obsession and thought of you that's happened like often. And this is an original idea. This is just me paying attention to other people who have built brands. There's a million of them. Jocko, basically when I think of him, I think of discipline, discipline equals freedom. When I think of Anthony Pompliano, Bitcoin guy, I think of buy Bitcoin, be financially free. Like you build this thing and you keep hammering it every single day. And people know you for that. And I think that's powerful. But anyway, to answer your original question on passion versus obsession, yeah, passion, the way I look at it is like passion is like a fleeting thing. And obsession is like not necessarily a permanent thing, but something you can't get rid of. And you can have, I think, different obsessions in your life. But in the moment, that has to be your thing, the one thing that you're focused on. So I think you can do many things with your life, but while you're doing it, like do one thing at a time. 
so to me, like passion is something like you're interested in, you like want to try, you enjoy it. But obsession is the thing that you like can't not do. It's the thing that like when you're sitting at your computer, you literally are like peeing yourself because you want to keep writing this or working on this, designing this. You know, you're not eating for six hours. You're staying up till 5 a.m. But it, it's fine because you're, you're like plugged in. You're working out. You're doing this activity. And so that's like the difference to me. I agree. There's a lot of passion that we can have momentarily, and then it's fleeting and it's gone. That obsession, as you said, it, it wakes you up in the middle of the night to write down that note or to dictate that note into your phone or into your Apple watch so that you don't forget that. Because when you get that idea, sometimes in the middle of the night, you think, oh, I'm going to hold on to it. And then the next morning you're like, shit, I have no clue what I was talking about, or I have one word and it doesn't mean as much. So we have to be willing to embrace that in the moment. 100%. I think so. You were talking about shower moments, how you're kind of in between things. There's that presence. And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, here's this opportunity when we had that soft focus, so to speak, where you're doing something, but it's not so consuming that we can't allow our mind to travel and almost like a walker, like with working out, it stimulates us in that way that gives us that insight that we couldn't have found maybe any other time. So it's it's important to to respect that. And then to ride that wave as much as we can, like you say, with an obsession. That's it. And you know, the hard part is like, the key part of obsession is it's kind of like the world doesn't want you to obsess. The world makes you like feel wrong for obsessing. And that could be like the cliche, like staying from parties, but that could also be just like setting barriers and relationships, you know, and like making sure you're, you're doing what you want to do, even if it's not culturally normal or culturally accepted. And, you know, there's a line there, but I think that's when like really special things start to happen when you, when you not like be rude to people not like shut people out, but you really like harness this energy that you have instead of like being normal and, spreading it out to different activities. Just like that idea of discipline, like from Jocko, it takes discipline to reinforce any kind of barrier, any kind of boundary for ourselves, because if we don't, now we're just going to be trampled on. And even if we're trying to be a nice person, we're not respecting ourselves in the process. And we're probably not helping that person that we're allowing to trample on us either. We're just encouraging the behavior. And that's not what we should be doing because if your energy is spread out, it's like a laser, all this lights here, but if we put it into a millimeter, it goes through walls. I like that. That's good. <laughs> That's a good analogy. And do you feel that your creative energy is best in the morning? I'm more of a night person lately. And, you know, sometimes I'll wake up at nine, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to bed at three. I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> you shouldn't. I mean, it's what's working for you now. Like you said, there's seasons. There's times when getting up really is what we have to do. We don't have to be Jocko. We don't have to get up at four. There was a psychologist or a sleep specialist that I interviewed recently. He said there are four different archetypes of the way people sleep. So there's some people that are night owls. There are some people that do most of their stuff early in the morning. And if we're not kind of programmed for that, or we're not raising it, then it's really detrimental for us to try to shift ourselves into that place. Now we're grinding against this friction. You mentioned friction. I like the idea of friction, but I like trying to turn it as much as I can into traction. If I can push off of it, if I can go with it, as opposed to allowing it to just grade me down. And I think that that's one way we can do it. I like that friction versus traction. That makes a lot of sense. It does. It's just like adversity, right? When we try to resist it, it can crush us. But if we can actually lean into it, if we can accept it for what it is, not only does it allow us to process it faster and get beyond it, but now we're not caught in this semantics of trying to push back and forth and debate it and trying to say, why am I a victim? Why is this happening to me? We don't have that luxury. And if you're an entrepreneur, it's about executing. It's about trying to fall down. People try to make it easy, but they overcomplicate it by trying to make it easy when they could just be out trying to create shit, just like you said, you had that draft and you revise it, revise it, revise it, revise it. And now it's perfect. And now you're like, I'm going to release this into the wild, see what happens. That's exactly it. And you know, sometimes it's not even perfect. Sometimes there's typos, 
But you know, I've noticed some of my best, believe it or not, some of my best posts have typos because it doesn't matter. I'm spiritual, but I'm not, I'm not talking about energy every sentence. Like I, I have been kind of <laughs> with this stuff, but it's true. Like the energy, even if there's a typo, if the energy is right, if it's in the right package, if it's worded the right way, it doesn't matter. Like I swear, some of my best posts have typos, which is crazy, but, and you know, I don't like that, but in the end, I'm, I'm glad I got it out that way. Yeah. And like you said, when the Nazi police come down and say there with an asterisk, you're like, really of all this that I did, I like gave you something and you're trying to like nitpick this really. You know, what's funny with that too. It's like, that actually helps the post sometimes. Cause it like gets more engagement. It's funny. Like, yeah, I've seen like TikToks like that, like viral TikToks where it's just like a typo and it goes wild because of that. It's, it's pretty crazy. The internet's a weird place, man. It is. Like you said, and if you can understand it and you're aware of it, like you said, it's about trying to get the intention out there. You're talking about energies. The law of attraction only works as hard as we do. We can't just sit there and hope it's going to fall in our lap. No, hundred percent. I'm with you. And you did 75 hard. When did you do that? I did it last fall. Tell me your biggest takeaways. Biggest takeaways. It was good. You know what? I, I did a lot of the things already, but it, I guess it taught me like how quickly you can get used to like a hard routine and people don't realize that it seems so insane, but like, to be fair, like I did do a lot of the things already. I would say I did almost all of it other than my diet wasn't perfect all the time. And I usually work out twice a day. It was really just adding those two things, but I got very used to it. And it's interesting. It, it is like you're saying like traction, friction, like you get over that initial traction that you're off and people underestimate how easy that can be when you have the right program. That's why, that's why 75 hours is so good. It's just so specific. And like people, like you've done it as well. I did the year long of it. Yeah. The year live hard. Yeah. Yeah. I still got to do the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I can't before like I die, like I have to do the whole thing. And like, what a program that guy made, like Andy Priscilla it is truly unbelievable. And it works because it's so specific. You probably have people who ask you about it and they're like, Oh, what if I did this? But you're like, no, the whole point is like, it's specific and you don't change it. It's an amazing thing he did help a lot of people. It absolutely has. And again, what's it do? It forces us to create a priority. For those of you that don't know what 75 Heart is, go follow Andy Versella, go find 75 Heart on the app, but you're working out twice a day, 45 minute workouts. One has to be outside. You're drinking a gallon of water. You're following a diet. You're reading 10 pages a day and you're taking a progress pick. And there's other variations on it, but just by doing that, because what happens? Everybody tries to make everything a priority and therefore nothing's a priority. And they want to meditate. They want to learn this new workout and they want to journal. They want to read this. So they want to do all this stuff and they get overwhelmed. They don't do any of it. But like you said, it's so specific. It's like, it's either pass or fail. Did you get a gallon of water in? Well, I got three quarters of a gallon. Well, then you start over at day one. I started over because I didn't take a selfie. I didn't take a picture. <laughs> so, but I did, I did start over. Yeah. But it's about that accountability. I knew people that were listening to audible thinking that that counted. He's like, no, read the fucking instructions guys. It says to read because it makes you put everything else away. You have to open this analog thing and actually read it. But that's where you get the most out of it. No, I'm hundred percent. I'm with you. And you and Andy, you guys have DM quite a bit, right? A little, a little bit. Yeah. Just a little, nothing crazy. He seems like a great guy though. And you could tell he really cares about people. Like he was DMing me a long time ago and I had like no following. And I, I think he does that with a lot of people. He really cares about people. Well, if he sees something in you, he will. He's not going to just do it to anybody. I've been in the Arte Syndicate since its inception with, and that's his group with Ed Milet. And again, it's like, he gives you like all the nitty gritty stuff. But again, it comes down to execution, falling down, not being afraid of trying. I mean, that's what everybody seems to do. They get in their own heads. They make it more complicated than it has to be. But you learn more from the execution and failure and adapting than you would from trying to create an entirely different business model. All these ideas that people want to try to get it perfect first and then come up with excuses not to execute. And that's how your first, I mean, well, you've had different businesses, but like 
the photo booth business, stuff like that. You literally kind of found that niche. So you were saying, instead of trying to find this passion or obsession, necessarily, you find opportunities that can give you insights into what those things are. Can you tell us kind of how that business started and how it's taking off now and how that's helped you in other areas? Yeah, definitely. Basically, long story short with my company, Peak Photo Booths, we do high-end luxury photo booths for weddings specifically, also other events, parties, Sweet 16s, that type of thing. I started it, no crazy story. I worked for a company that did very similar things. That was around a while. Worked for them for two summers, saved up a few grand. And then I was going upstate to school in upstate New York. I was stationed in upstate New York. Really? I was at Fort Drum at north of Watertown there. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's where I got hurt. So really? Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah, I went to school in Binghamton, New York. And I was like, hey, I'm going to start a photo booth up there. I'm going to try it. Even though there's really nothing going on up there. There was colleges. And so that was my idea. And so I spent basically all the money I had, a few grand and built my own photo booth. And, you know, just went running like a lost like rat, whatever you want to say. Yeah, I built it up there. The first year, there wasn't much. Then the second year, which was my last year of school, I got to a decent point, even up in Binghamton, where I was doing, you know, six, seven events a week. And then when I moved it home, then I moved it the business to Long Island, which is where I was coming after I graduated. The business really took off because it's, you know, Long Island, New York City, a lot of stuff going on over here. Been running it since and, you know, did really well pre-COVID. It was just growing, growing, growing. COVID definitely took a big hit in terms of the actual ability to provide the service that year. But now we're at a point that it's just like as much as it, like it's like a slingshot, like as much as it came back, it, it's going forward and we're in a really good place now. And it's becoming a really special business that I'm proud of. Not necessarily because I truly am not passionate about photo booths. But what I love is what I'm obsessed with is like understanding and recognizing opportunity and making something that no one has made before, like a model, essentially a business model. And that is really exciting to me. You also mentioned how you had this ability to really harness social media and the internet. You were saying that a lot of people that you were competing with didn't understand that at the time. So that gave you like this almost blue water strategy, this advantage, right? Oh yeah. That's the biggest thing. And, and photo booths aren't even the best example of that because there are a lot of people in it and there are a lot of people who are smarter now, but yeah, that's hundred percent how I grew it. I understood how to do Google ads and how to use the internet while a lot of people didn't understand it as well. And you know, that's the case with, I tell anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur who's young, like, start a simple home service or even event, some event services are good. Get good at Google ads, get good at getting reviews and you're going to have a business. I have a friend, my best friend, actually, he has had like multiple different businesses, right? Throughout his time. And I always told him like, you need to have a service. You need to do a service. He was trying to do beverages, really hard business to do by yourself and with a small team. I was like, dude, just, you're an amazing like service provider. You should provide such great service. So he learned from literally having zero experience, how to service hot tubs. And just, he learned it while he was doing this other job, but he really taught himself on YouTube how to do hot tubs. And now like a year later, this guy has like a hundred plus Google reviews, the best hot tub repair, the best like reputable hot tub service company on Long Island, Long Island spa service if you need someone. And it just shows you like, can get out there and use the internet, but you've been unstoppable with a lot of businesses, especially old school businesses. I also want to point out that for you, I hate to say this, but for a lot of people, 2020 changed everything because of what was going on in March and with the pandemic, but you actually found the gift in that adversity by that's when you really leaned into your content, leaned into creating something. And it's a whole different ball game when, if you're just quoting people and there's nothing wrong with that. I like to quote things that have influenced me, but when you're actually creating something and you're birthing this idea, whether it be just a, a single statement or content at the level that you create it it really makes you look at 
what's important. It makes you understand what do you believe. And then when you put it out there and then you get this response, it helps you see what's really going on. And that's when you were actually doing a lot of that work. How did it feel to create that first amount of content to get some of that traction initially, as opposed to friction in the process? Yeah. You're saying when I started going more from like posting quotes to like doing my own stuff. Yeah. 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 And that was, you know, that was everything I did. I did do that. A lot of that during, it grew a lot during like that beginning of COVID time. And I was just like, look, I'm not going to sit here and wait for my business to come back. I'm going to like put this energy into something. And that was everything. Like I had to do that, even though it's hard because I did start it more like almost not anonymously, but like Sudan and Missly, where like there was like a character, but no one really knew who I was. And that was everything. Yeah. That's the only reason I have that. That's the only reason you're interviewing me right now, you know, and it's everything, but it's hard for someone. It was harder for me. And I'm still not the most like public creator. I want to be more. And I'm just, it doesn't come natural to me, but I'm getting better at it. And I do enjoy it. And that's where you find your voice. You know, you find your voice creating. If I look at those old posts, it's like, what was I saying? Like some of them are bad. Some of them are very cringy, but you know what? That's how you do it. You get better. I'm sure you feel the same about your old writing. Yeah, I do. I'm proud of my first book, but I just remember it was like, God, I felt like there's days when you're creating content or you're trying to write stuff. Like I'll write for four pages and it's just garbage. Like, what am I even writing? But then that'll be the thing that primes you to get to that one paragraph or that one statement. Then you're like, okay, this is what I needed to get to this. Okay. It was worth it, but it's tough. And you say that you're not a natural at this, so to speak. So anybody that's listening, the content that you create is incredible but it takes that iteration. It takes work. It takes that obsession to continue to get better at it. It does. You have to get better. That's the hardest thing. And I, I even have been like kind of stuck in my way is like my page, it doesn't grow as quickly as it used to. It used to grow a lot faster. And it's partly because I've gotten like a little comfortable. I'm, I've been doing like the same thing and you have to be able to iterate. And in the beginning, I did a lot. You have to be able to keep working and find what works. I think people get caught in the trap of like being just extremely consistent, but not with something that's working. And then it's just like, you're kind of waiting to burn out at that point. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are listening. So when we're working on this kind of stuff, when we're trying to create content for me, if I feel like I'm saying the same thing all the time, I try to find something that's almost diametrically opposed, whether it be an article or picking up a book of something that is completely contrary to what I'm thinking. But what that does is that gives me one, it keeps me from being blindsided by my cognitive bias and it may actually create cognitive dissonance in me. But what I do is I look at that tension and say, why is that not jiving with me? And then maybe that gives me insights that I wouldn't have seen from my normal kind of vantage point. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Interesting. I haven't thought of that. It's a good way to, like you said, when we kind of run out of ideas, it's like I can talk about adversity for so long, but then if I have to look at these other ideas or other components that come from that, but for me, I have to punch them in the face with this first statement to be able to slip in pragmatic empathy or to talk about boundaries or to talk about respecting somebody else. Everybody's been traumatized. Everybody's had things that happened to them. So it's difficult to be really angry at somebody, but at the same time, you don't have to be in their toxic environment. You don't have to just stand by as they do this emotional drive-by. You can still keep yourself intact in the process. And it feels like in the, in the world today, it's very much either one or the other, even Andy Frisella's content. People think that he's just this guy that's in your face and yelling. There is that part of him. But there's a lot more to him that, than just that. Even David Goggins or even Jocko, if you get to know these people well enough, you'll see that there's a lot of depth there. But people just want that superficial soundbot. They just want that thing that makes it feel good. And we have to understand that there's more to it than just what we see on the interwebs. Yeah. A lot of these guys, they catch your eye. That's why they are the way they are. I don't think they're doing that on purpose. It's just who they are, truthfully. But there is always layers deeper. And I really like the word you said. I just want to like highlight it. Pragmatic empathy. Like That is a very good phrase. Because it's like tactical, you want something to come out of it, but 
it's also like, you know, understanding where someone's at. It is. I mean, if you're talking to a person in your business or an employee or a potential client, we have to understand where they're coming from. We have to understand what they need. We also have to understand if they're threatened or if they're angry. And because we can understand what that is, we can pragmatically say, what's the best thing for me to do? It doesn't do me any good to have all these skill sets if I don't have the self-awareness to have pragmatic empathy. And now I can deploy the correct thing to help them, to help the team, to help accomplish the mission. But a lot of people see it as just, oh, I'm being empathetic, which means I sit on my hands. It's like, no, that may mean you need to help this person stand up. It also means that you need to respect them enough to say, this person doesn't want me to help them stand up. They want to fucking figure it out on their own, which is fine too, because we've all been knocked down. So when you were first going into this creation mode, what were some of the people that really influenced you? I mentioned some names at the beginning of the interview, but who were some of the ones that really influenced you a lot and then maybe still continue to influence you now? It's tough because it's when I first started, it was because I, I saw these like very like cliche, like infographic pages. I, I would post them too, like these like little like icons. That, that's how it started. But then I quickly, re- and I, I was like, yeah, hey, I could do that too. So I, I started it. I quickly realized that, like those accounts were like mostly like fake followers and, you know, they weren't even real. And I found my own thing. It's hard. Like in terms of style, I like Stephen Bartlett and I, I like a lot of things he says. I, I'm not too into his content, to be honest, I, but I like his style and like the way he publishes his work. Jack Butcher from Visualize Value was like huge for me. I really like the way he can, not necessarily his visuals, like they're incredible. But just his communication in general, like the way he tweets and condenses ideas is like pretty amazing. And I try to like capture that in my tweets. I try to like do the same thing. I have a long list. Like I have a list of people that I'm, I'm not going to vote. I'm just going to like think. No, you're fine. I mentioned Naval and Tim Ferriss and Andy Fursell, obviously. Oh yeah. They've been, they've been huge. Yeah. In terms of like the, the message, Andy Fursell was huge for me. Like I, he was probably number one when I was starting. Andy, Jocko. David Goggins, but you know, what's interesting. Like, I think you go, you really do go through seasons in terms of people you take influence from. And like, I, I don't listen to those three as much as I used to. It's just because of what I need at the moment. I think the inspiration and like the, the advice I need in the moment, but they helped me so much when I was younger. And, you know, maybe that's the most important time to be helped when you're like trying to get from A to B. It's that foundation. You've got that influence there, but then you're branching out to create what's yours. And a lot of people are afraid to step into that. They want to step behind somebody else's name instead of their own. Yeah. And your, your influences should change over time too, I think. Like that's like the book, Steal Like an Artist. Have you read the book? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing book. And like, it's so true the things he says. Like you can create something really special by just like one combining different people into one. Like I love what you said. Like the comment you gave me earlier is like my dream compliment. You said like Naval, Tim Ferriss, and you said Andy Priscilla. Because I literally have, I'm not joking, like in a note somewhere where I'm like writing like content goals. It's like Tim Ferriss X, Jack Butcher X, Jocko, I think. So what you said is like pretty close. It's so interesting, right? Because I've tried to like, even though they're different people, it's like kind of similar in my mind. That's a good way to look at your content. I think like who can you combine and to do something different? Or I love the other thing from that book, which is like, think about your favorite, a creator that, that inspires you and then go make what they would make on another platform, you know? So like, what would like Naval Ravikant's blogs look like if you're a blogger or like something like that? How would Andy Priscilla write Twitter threads? Because he doesn't do that. You know, like, how would he? Like, that is interesting to me. Yeah, Naval made a comment. He was saying how a unicycle is interesting. A bear is interesting. But when you put a bear on a unicycle, it's like, holy shit, that's interesting. I want to see that. It's like we Venn diagram these things that we're experts in or these philosophies that we've absorbed. And now what comes from that is something unique, even if it's not 
like you said, quote unquote original, but let's be real. There's nothing original in the world. Like there's no emotion that you've experienced that hasn't been experienced for people for centuries and will continue to be experienced as long after we're gone. And Elvis Costello says, every, every musician is a thief and a magpie. We're just imitating somebody, whether we're aware of it or not. And then we may be directly stealing from them, but even if we haven't heard the quote, it's probably out there, but that doesn't matter because if that's the first time that somebody's heard that content and it's from you to them, it's like, I don't care who it came from, you help me. And that's what they want. Like the same idea, just different like messengers. And it might be someone else, it's definitely someone else's quote. And something else, like I was reading Alex from Mosey, who I've been really, he's really helped me a lot lately with the things he said. He's putting out some amazing stuff. He said something which I really liked. He says, it's like, like we were talking about before, like the combination of people that's unique, but it's also like, when you see something and you expect it to be one thing, so that like you look at him and you expect to see like, you can expect a lot of things with him. One, you're like, you could be going to him for business content and you expect like typical business advice, or you could just see him from what he looks like, which is like you know, jacked dude with a mustache or a beard. And then he breaks that pattern. That's when things get really interesting. And I try to do more of that. And I've tried to do some of that with my content where it looks like typical quote content, but it doesn't read like it. You know, I don't want it to read like the typical. I want it to be like, holy shit, like, this is really like, like a gut punch, you know, like, I try to do that. You do it. I think you accomplish it. I don't think you'd have as many followers or as much interaction as you do if you didn't. And like I said, I've been following you for a long time. And I was like, this guy gets it. I've been doing martial arts since I was little. And Bruce Lee's martial art, Jeet Kune Do, I'm an instructor under Bruce Lee's protege, Guru Dan Nosanto. But Bruce said, I absorb what is useful. I discard what is useless. And I add what is specifically my own. And to me, that's like the ultimate entrepreneurial ethos. Because again, we all have unique experiences. That doesn't mean I just throw them all away and just learn this one thing, but I bring that overlap of what I've done and it will influence the flavor and the taste sort of of what I'm creating. And then we have to be willing to lean into that, even if it doesn't sound exactly like so-and-so. When I first started to learn to play the guitar, I wanted to sound like certain musicians, but I didn't have the technical prowess to emulate them. But in the process of falling down, trying to get to that place, I discovered unique voicings, unique things I hadn't heard before. So to me, it gave me a style, even though I wasn't understanding it. And then years later, it's like, oh, that's where I got that. I was trying to sound like this guy. I wasn't good enough, but I sound like this now. Yeah, signs it goes under the radar. It just happens that you're really realizing it. Yeah, and we're all influenced, whether we realize it or not. Yeah, it always does. With everything you do, It goes a lot of it goes under the radar. Yeah, but when it comes out, it's neat the way that it comes on the other side. So of all the advice that's out there, and we're in this sphere where everybody's kind of either just nothing's original or they're just kind of regurgitating the same thing. What's the worst piece of advice that you hear continually repeated? And you're smiling because you're like I am, where you're like, God, there's so much of it. I'm smiling because I thought you were going to ask me the best advice. (laughs) That's why I'm laughing. (laughs) I went the other way first. I wanted to read you to go the other way. And then we'll go on the other side. No, yeah, that's fine. The worst advice is, I'm just going to say, 99% of everyone you follow. Like, I'm going to be completely honest. You should go into your following list and unfollow. Like, friends, keep them, whatever, if you really want to see them. But, like, in terms of like creators, unfollow almost all of them because then you got to look at them and ask if you're, if you're getting value from somebody. And a lot of times you're just giving, you know, seconds of your day to them over years. And that's like a lot of time when you do that for 500 people. It's like, you don't think about that, but it's like, and not even the time, but the attention. And so like, it's hard for me to think of like one specific bad advice, but like the best advice I can give is to cut out all the bad advice. Because the thing is, average advice is still bad advice because you're wasting time and energy. And that's like an interesting thing, I think, to think about. Like, there's just so much noise. It's hard for me because I've talked to other creators as well. And a lot of them, I truly like either mute their content or I don't want to look at it because it's just like, there's no intention behind it. They're just pumping, pumping for like an algorithm. And that's something I really try not to do. Like I don't, lately I don't post that much just because of that. I don't like being that guy. 
there's a bounce there. Let me think. One specific bad piece of advice. I think you've already said it. I think the bad advice is to try to consume everything and make something out of it. Yeah. I think everybody listening, if they would just fast from this kind of stuff, what do they do? They pick up a book and they're like, I read 52 books this year. I'm like, stop patting yourself on the back for being smart. Like, tell me a book that really changed your life this year. And they're all like, um, well, it's like they're consuming, but they're not digesting. They're not applying. Knowledge that is acquired but unutilized is the equivalent of ignorance. Why are they consuming so much, hoping that it's going to answer the fact that they will not try to put in the work and fall down and put this stuff into play? Yeah. yeah. And so like the opposite of that is the best advice I'd say, which someone put it the right way. I forgot his author, the author's name. I think his name is Scott Adams. No, it's not Scott Adams. That's someone else. Scott something. I think he, he might've wrote the book called Ultra Learning. I feel so bad misquoting him. Anyway, it's on my profile, actually. You can see it on my page somewhere. And it says, do the real thing. And it's just like, that's like, I think my life has just been a process of doing the real thing like more and more. And so basically that goes from like, oh, starting a business. The fake thing is like, you read a bunch of business books and you get an LLC and you get business cards, you make an announcement, make an announcement. I did that when I started my business. You make a big announcement, you get an article, newspaper, that might be okay. But like, that's like kind of marketing. But like, not really though, honestly, not if it's a newspaper. You get what I'm saying? Like you get a logo, you get a sick logo, you get business cards, all the polos versus the real thing is just picking up the phone and calling a thousand people and telling them about the business and trying to get people to give you money and make a sale. That's the real thing. And people don't do the real thing. And I haven't a lot when I was younger. And I feel like that's success. Success is just doing the real thing. Why don't people do the real thing? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's real work. There's real fraction or attraction, whatever word you want to say there. And sometimes you don't know. Like sometimes you'll think, oh, I need, I need to figure out, I need to go compare this CRM and this CRM or this email newsletter platform and this one. That's what I really need to do. So I have 15 tabs open comparing them instead of, okay, I just need to like get more leads and like get someone to give me their money, get more ads going, get better ads. That's like the bottleneck, I think, to a lot of people. And sometimes it's hard to recognize those things and it does take education, but it's just like you can't compensate the real thing with just all education. And people know the real thing. And here's the thing. When you have the real thing, you're putting out real content, you attract people that are from that kind of real recognized as real. If you're creating a bunch of vanilla generic bullshit, you're going to have a bunch of vanilla generic bullshit people that are not going to put any of it into play. So it's just this big waste of time. It's a fool's errand. It's the definition of insanity. If I make it slicker, maybe if I do this, it's like, no, maybe if you would just fucking put something out there that's honest and real, that actually hits one person, and then you figure out where that goes. That's where your traction comes from. Instead, they're just leading into friction and then having the audacity to not know, why do I still have all these like road rash on my arm? It's like, because you're just continuing to do it. I completely agree. Yeah. So that's how we get there. Now, there was some friction in your life when you were D1 soccer player and you're basically an athlete. That's all you're doing. That's what you live for. And we were talking before how I don't know anybody that's succeeded that hasn't hit adversity in some way, shape or form. Can you tell us about that time? Because at that moment, it was like, it felt like everything was over for you. Would you say that? Tell us about what it was like with the injury and that realization that this was not what your path was going to be. Yeah. I think like I could boil my like success down to one thing, which is like a very good ability to be unattached to anything. And like, that's a hard skill, but like grew up playing soccer. Like a lot of people who grew up doing things, you know, did it when I was a kid to third, fourth year of college. That was, you know, who you were, you were a soccer player. And then you get bad. I was badly hurt multiple years in a row. And just at one point it was just like, all right, this is not happening for my life anymore. <laughs> I guess I'm not going to waste this time. Once I made that jump though, and was finally willing to like, let that part of me go. That's when 
everything good started happening because I started like creating the person I wanted to be versus just like being the person I was. And, you know, I've done that throughout multiple things I've done. And like that, it really is a big thing, I think, because to get where you want to go, you have to like be willing to let go of who you were and to unattach yourself from the wins, unattach from yourself from the, the pride you feel about your certain yourself. So that's what I'd say. I, I felt like I had a new life, like when I stopped playing soccer, because it was like, it's so much effort, like it's so much time. And I had this whole new world open for me. And sometimes I think that could be soccer, that could be a job, that could be a relationship, that could be a lot of things to a lot of people. And when you do make that jump, it's really good things can start to happen. How long did you stay in that place of denial where you still tried to hold on to it hopelessly? It wasn't as tragic as you describe it. Like truthfully, I was just playing soccer and sitting on the bench most of the time because I had injuries or just truthfully wasn't playing well enough. And but that was a long time. It was like multiple years. And I have a lot of feelings about college and, you know, we don't need to go into that, but like, I wish I started my life earlier. I feel like I was just in this buffering stage and it was because it was normal. It was because it was who I was. And when I did, you know, unattached myself from that, really good things started to happen. And that's why I'm kind of dwelling on that because there are people right now that are listening to us that are going to college and they have no clue why they're going to college or they're in a job because it's not making them a millionaire, but it's giving them enough money to live this lifestyle, which isn't really serving them. And they're kind of in this buffering stage as well, and they don't see it or they see it, but they want to find the next glorified distraction, whether it be social media, an empty relationship, alcohol, drugs, entertainment, whatever. And the sooner that they can get to that place where they're like, what's real, what matters to me, there's nothing like adversity to make you figure out what the hell actually matters. And for you, you were able to finally grip that, but then you had this incredible work ethic as an athlete. And you're like, what if I applied this idea as this athlete to be relentless to be obsessed and now apply it towards this thing that actually serves me. And all of a sudden, just that curiosity alone can create the opportunity. And then once you lean into it, all of a sudden it's like that lack of commitment that creates all the anxiety. It's like, you have to either jump. There's one level of commitment and that's total. So just being stuck in this one place and thinking, Oh, I'll do that next week. Or I'll do that when I have more money or I'll do that next season. And we don't know how much time we have. We don't know what opportunities are out there that we're missing Compressing the time is important, but also that amount of time that we would have built other things, whether it be relationships, content, and actually incredible conversation, all those things happen within these periods of time. So like you said, with these content creators, if you're consuming 500 of them and they're not helping you, or if you just stay in this place of glorified hesitation, it doesn't help you get where you want to go. Yeah. I posted something the other day, which I liked. It was like, just don't waste your life. Like I was like, don't waste your life learning, I think was a specific thing which is, is a good post. If you're listening to this, go find it on my profile. It was like a carousel, a few different lines. And just like, it's something I struggle with because most of the stuff I post is stuff I struggle with and just thoughts I have, you know? And it's like, there's so much to like learn and do and think about, but like, you're going to waste your life. Like if you look at the amount of time you spend doing things that don't matter, it's, it's just normal though. It's very normal to waste your life. And the key is to not waste your life. <laughs> I say it over and over because like those three words, like I think are strong, like don't waste your life. It's true. I mean, how many times do we have people that they get good at shit that doesn't matter? They chase the easy dopamine, all those things that we're kind of alluding to. That doesn't matter. I mean, if that matters to you, then that's fine. But eventually you get to a place of maturity where you're like, and it doesn't really matter. Like in the grand scheme of things, if all that stuff went away, what matters to you now? And you know, my story It's like, it took me, like I was 40 and it took like everything being taken away from me to actually make that knowledge. And here's the thing. I knew it all along. I knew it. That's the real truth. 
but I was afraid to act on it because I didn't want to actually have to take accountability. But when adversity like kicked in the face, I had to lean into that. I had no other option. So you were talking about how quickly we adapt like on 75 hard. For most of us, we hit adversity. And then like a child that gets its hand burnt from the stove, we get away from it. But for me, I had to sit with it. But you, you're voluntarily sitting with it and absorbing that knowledge. Even if it's only for an extra second, you're going to get a lot more than you would have gotten any other way. No, you're right. And you know, your story is like an unbelievable example, but you probably recognize like how many successful people now came from in- injuries or just like a tragic event. And it's just, it's crazy how common it is. Like it, it's crazy when you really start looking at it. And it's like, I think I put it once, it's like a bandaid. It's like you rip off the bandaid and then that's like the rawness of your life is out there. You know, that's when you can heal though and, and make something stronger. And you know, you live that more than anybody, I think. That's what happens. It strips away all the stuff that we're not and you see what you are. And then you're like, And there's a lot of stuff I don't like, but that's part of being there. Like it helps you see what maybe you do like, or maybe you're like, I want to lessen these things that I don't like about myself so much. And we're all afraid to look like we all will look in the mirror and we, we kind of see what we want to see even now. But when we have no other choice, the choice is simple. And that means we have to do the work. We have to move forward. We have to get through this friction, turn it into traction and get to the other side. Otherwise we're going to be stuck wasting our lives. I love that. When you have no other choice, the choice is simple. That's freaking great. That's really good. It's awesome. Zach, where can we learn more about you? Where can we support you? Where can we consume this amazing content? Yeah, it's Instagram at Behavior Hack, B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-H-A-C-K. I think I spelled that right. Only people who spell it differently are like English people. In England, they spell it a little different. They do everything different in England, let's be honest. Yeah, and uh, Twitter is my real name, Zach Pogrob, Z-A-C-H-P-O-G-R-O-B. And I do have a sub stack you can subscribe to behaviorhack.substack.com. And that's really it. My company is called Peak Photo Booths. If you're in the Northeast, you can venture an unbelievable photo booth for your wedding or whatever event you're planning. And that's really it. Thank you so much, my friend. It's been an honor. No, thank you for having me. Great convo. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.